Amen. You know, blanket statements sometimes don't apply to everybody at the same time, at the same place. Uh, but I'm going to make a blanket statement to every person in this room this morning. I don't know all of you. I don't know what you might be going through. I don't know what you might be facing. But I do know one thing for sure. You can trust God. You can trust God. I was thinking the other day at uh, recently, uh, folks that we've been around in the hospitals, uh, Funeral homes, uh, folks that we've been in their home and they've dealt with a struggle and a trial. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, we don't have a handbook that we have all the answers that we can tell someone something and going to make all the trouble go away. We don't. But what a blessing it is to be able to tell them that they can trust God. You can trust God when times are good. You can trust God when times are not good. You can trust God when you feel good and you can trust God when you feel bad. You can trust God when you have great gain, and you can trust God when you're suffering loss. And it's something I know because I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I'm going to heaven because I trusted him. And yet every day I have to learn over and over again that I can trust God. And I want you to know that. Boy, the song that she sang there a moment ago, I hope you were listening to the lyrics. Uh, His ways are higher than ours, but we can trust him no matter what. It is good to see you here on a rainy Sunday and always a blessing to have folks come and be faithful to the house of God and looking forward to what God wants to do in our service today. And let me say right quick, I appreciate Miss Allen down front today, Uh, our junior high and high school young ladies, our sign language class. uh, They're learning this uh, wonderful, wonderful tool uh, that that might be better equipped in the Lord's service one day. And uh, we're having a trial run with that this morning, so I appreciate her being willing to come and help our young ladies with that. You pray for them. What a great tool. Uh, They'll expand their repertoire of being able to be used of the Lord, and uh, I look forward to how God's going to do that. 1 Kings chapter number 18 this morning. 1 Kings chapter number 18. If you find that, go ahead and stand together. 1 Kings 18. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 1, skip down through about verse number 17. Then we'll skip down all the way to about verse 33, 1 Kings 18 this morning. We're going to pick up at one of my favorite accounts in Scripture. This is where Elijah is about to face off with the 450 prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And uh, my favorite uh, part of this is the conclusion Uh, But we're going to try to tell the whole story today, and uh, this ought to encourage our hearts a little bit because this is the Word of God. This is truth. Uh, This is not a made-up story today, and the same God that Elijah was trusting in is the same God we're trusting in today. And so I just want to encourage you to let the Lord speak to you through this wonderful account, 1 Kings chapter 18. Pick up in verse 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass after many days... That the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab. Ahab is the wicked king, and I will send rain upon the earth. There's been a drought, and the drought is the direct result of the disobedience of the people, and God has cut off the rain. Verse 2, And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Skip down, if you will, to verse 17, as now Ahab is about to speak to Elijah. The Bible says, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Here's the wicked king pointing his finger at the preacher, saying, This is your fault. And verse 18 says, And he answered, I have not troubled Israel but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord And thou hast followed Balaam. 
Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. The Bible says, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. They're about to have a showdown, man versus man, one versus hundreds, and they're going to prove who the true God is. Verse number 19 down through verse 29, we read the false prophets that they have made a sacrifice, and they have chanted and screamed and jumped up and down, and nothing's happened. Finally, Elijah's turn comes in verse 30. Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. The story goes on to say that he would do that again, and he would drench the sacrifice with water. And now this is going to be quite a feat for God to burn up the sacrifice being soaked with water, and yet God's going to do just that. The Bible says in verse 36, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and thou hast turned their heart back again. Watch verse 38. Then... The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that I have the privilege to talk to the same God that we just read about and that, Father, the same power is still there. Father, you desire to show yourself through your power to your people. And that's what I'm praying for today, that, Lord, you would show yourself, Lord, through the preaching of your word, through the reading of your word, and through the speaking of your Holy Spirit. I pray that, Father, we would hear from you today. I pray, Father, that we'd be changed today and that, Father, we would have some fire built in our heart again, built in our church as we seek, Lord, to show the world who our God is. Help us today set aside distractions. Help us keep our mind on the message and in tune with the Holy Spirit. And if there help, if there's one lost today to be saved, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I think because I'm a man, I kind of like a good scrap, okay? Uh, now, I didn't say I like to scrap, so don't come pick a fight with me after the service, particularly if you're larger than me, okay? Uh, but I like a good conflict every once in a while. I, I've watched a lot of Westerns, and uh, I like to watch those good old clean Westerns, and and they're out there in the street, you know, having the face off and uh, going to draw on each other. One of those guys are about to die, you know. Meet me out there in the street at high noon. If it was me, to be honest with you, I'd wait until about 5.30 because I'd like to die in the shade, you know. If I'm going to die, I'd at least like to die in a cool spot, you know, not out there in the heat. Uh, I like a good dog fight on some of those, West, on the, some of those uh, uh, aviation movies, you know, where they're shooting at each other and maybe a good boxing match every once in a while. I like a good confrontation, like a good scrap. And uh, If you're looking for a good one, I don't know that you're going to find a better one than 1 Kings 18. As we just read about this conflict between Elijah and these hundreds of prophets of Baal, it is the ultimate showdown, if you will. The best part, it's a true story. 
This is not a fable. Uh, This is not one of Aesop's fables where we read and get a good truth out of it, but it's something that didn't happen. This is stuff that really happened, and God wanted us to see in his word today just what he's willing to do for his people when his people are willing to do what they need to do. And we're going to look at what that is specifically here in just a minute. Backstory is simple. There's a drought. It's gone on for years. It's a direct result of the disobedience of the people. God has literally cut their water off, if you will. Can I tell you today, can we just take a moment, this is not the message, but be reminded this morning that God knows where your shutoff switch is at, and that God knows how to get your attention this morning, and then when we live in disobedience too long, God knows where that shutoff valve is at, and God's going to shut your water off. Why? Because he loves you. He chastens every son that he loves, and he's chastening his people here. So now they're, they're praying for water, and they need water. They need the drought to end, and there's going to be this showdown. On one side, you have the wicked king, which represents the idolatrous, immoral world, and you're not going to find much a character more idolatrous and immoral than Ahab and Jezebel. On the other side of the aisle, we have a small minority, literally just one, one man of God who dared to stand for truth and speak out against sin. Once again, I think we're coming to that minority in the world we're living in. Here's what's amazing. Rather than argue the point, God is about to prove his point. I got to tell you, as I read that, I couldn't help but think, I think that's how God wants things done today. I think rather than argue our point over and over and over again, I think God would have us to prove our point. Isn't that what letting our light shine is all about? Hey, why don't you just go prove the point? Instead of arguing about, you know, what God says, and hey, there comes a time to contend for the faith. I'm not saying that's not necessary from time to time, but uh, you'd be amazed at how many people you could convince if they just saw it in your life. Matter of fact, your life could be undermining the argument, and I've done that before in my own life. So here's Elijah. He's about to put everything on the line to prove God is true. So the, in, in verse 20 down to about verse 29, Baal's guys get up there. They create their altar, they put the bullocks on there, and, and boy, they go to town. They put on an awesome show. Uh, man, they're putting it up there, and they're chanting. Who knows what they're saying? And They're making a lot of racket and going through a whole lot of show, and nothing happens. Once again, I think we could refer to that and look at the current religious system of our world. We make a whole lot of show, but we don't prove a whole lot. And here's what I want you to see. We're getting the message. You've got to hurry, Okay. Elijah steps up in verse number 30. Elijah's about to have his opportunity, and here's what's amazing. It's what Elijah doesn't do that I want you to see. Elijah doesn't walk up to the altar and say, okay, this is my turn. Uh, You had your chance, now this is my turn. He doesn't do that. Elijah doesn't just come up and start praying. There's no point. Why? And this is what you got to see today. The altar's not ready to be used. He says, look, there's some things that need to happen before we hear from God and before the fire of God falls. And I believe this morning that's where our church is at today. I think about that. Here we are in 2023. Our theme is ready. And we desire that God would meet with us. We desire that God would grow us. We desire that God would use us. We desire that God would work in our church and our families and our homes. Here's my question this morning. Are we ready to receive what God wants for us? I mean, all of us would love to see the fire of God fall. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm only 43, so I still have a little bit of kid in me. I'd love to see it literally and figuratively. 
all right? I wouldn't mind to see a fireball hit out there in the parking lot every once in a while, not hit anybody's car, but I wouldn't mind it fall every once in a while just so folks got a little bit serious and some of you that are dozing off already would wake up, all right? But more so than the literal fire, I'd, I'd love to see the spiritual fire of God fall, but here's my question. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for the fire of God to fall? Are we ready to be used of God? Are we ready to see God work in our church? I dare say that I would bet this morning or wager as Christians do that we're not ready to receive what God wants for us yet. I believe there's some things we need to do. Verse 30, 31, 32, 33. They show some things that need to be done. And look, I think this morning we're waiting on God to work when I think God's waiting on us to work. Do you think God is sitting up there trying to decide, should I send the fire or not? Should I send my spirit, my power? Should I give them what they need? No, God wants to. He gave us his son. He desires to freely give us all things. Is that not what the word says? We know that's what God wants to do for us. The problem is we're waiting on him to work and God's waiting on us to work. Elijah shows that in verse 30. He's about to go to work and God's about to work through honoring what Elijah was willing to do. Now, there's three things this morning, surprise, surprise, three things that Elijah did that I think we need to do in order for God to work in our church and for us to be ready to receive what God wants. And that's our message today, ready to receive. If God wanted to work today, can I ask you this question? Don't answer it out loud. Don't shake your head. Don't look at your spouse. If God wanted to work in your life today, and if God wanted to work in this church today, and God wanted to send something your way today, can I ask you this? Are you ready to receive it? This altar was not ready to receive God's fire. God wanted to send the fire, but the altar was not ready to receive it. And I wonder this morning, how many times has God wanted to give me something and to send his fire into my life, but I wasn't ready to receive it? It's like that pesky note you get from UPS on your door. We tried to deliver your package. I'm like, no, you didn't because you did deliver it yesterday and today you didn't deliver it. Why didn't you just leave it there on the porch? I don't know why they do that. If you're a UPS person, I'm not complaining, but man, it just chaps my hide. Get there and there's that note on the door. We try, I mean, it could be something important like gummy bears or jelly beans. And, 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 and I was looking forward to it. And he took them back. And so now they're going to ride around in the truck for 24 more hours, probably getting all melty and sticky together and just ruin the whole thing. Can I tell you, God's got more for us than jelly beans and gummy bears. But we've got to be ready to receive it. And that's what I want to ask you this morning. Are you ready to receive? And I believe Elijah is going to show us how to get ready to receive what God has for us this morning. Now quickly look down to verse number 30. The Bible says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. Come near unto me. Can I tell you, before we get started this morning, can I get you to get your attention to come near? Yeah. All right, I told our young people last week, let's put our phones away. All right, I don't like folks coming up to me after service telling me our young people are, are updating their status and all that. Look, if you're using your Bible on your phone, hey, that's quite all right, absolutely. Uh, but let's make sure our attention is drawing near this morning. The Bible says, and all the people came near. And then watch this. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, notice, before he asked God to send fire, he says, we've got to get this altar ready. This altar's not ready for God's fire. He says it's broken down. It is in disrepair. 
Could it be this morning that before we are prepared or before we're ready, there is some repairing that needs to happen? Before he would ask God to do what God could do, he's going to do all that he could do specifically about this altar. Now, I'm not going to waste a lot of time this morning with background because it's already 1142, okay? All right? We just had a great song service. We had a great handshaking, and time's a little bit long. But I need you to stick with me today, okay? If God wanted you to have something today, it'd be worth hanging around for and paying attention for. Amen? Now, watch what he says. Before God's fire could fall, we've got to repair the altar of the Lord. What was the altar all about? Simply put, we know the altar was used for worship. We know that, right? We know that the altar of the Lord was used for sacrifice and devotion. But if I could give you a blanket statement today, could we just put the altar under the blanket umbrella, the general term, that the altar was a symbol of the man's relationship with God? That's what that altar was for. That altar represents man's worship, man's sacrifice, and man's devotion in his relationship with God. All throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, we see the altar signifying relationship between man and God. Now, I want you to see an important point here as we kind of embark on this message today. This broken altar really is a picture of a broken relationship. The broken altar is a picture of these people's broken relationship with God, and in order for them to be ready for what God wants to send, number one, ready simply means repairing the relationship. If God's going to send to our church this year what he desires to send to our church, and oh, we can only imagine what it's going to be like. When God sends his power and God sends his fire and God sends his blessings and God sends great victory to our church, oh, I'm excited about that. But before God could send that, I believe this morning one thing that we've got to do is we've got to make sure that our relationship with him is in the right order. If there's any repairs that need to be made, we're going to have to make them. I honestly believe today that there's a fatal flaw in our faith, that you can have the resources of God without having a relationship with God. I believe that is a false doctrine. I do believe it is straight out of hell. I believe it keeps lost people lost and saved people mediocre and lukewarm. When we think that we can have God's fire and what God desires we have without maintaining a right relationship with him. Do you know everybody in the world wants to go to heaven, right? I've yet to meet someone who's like, no, no thank you. I would rather go to hell. I've never met one. Okay, I hope I never meet one. What a horrible, horrible thought. Anyone that would say that has no clue of the horrors that hell contains. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But can I tell you, heaven is a resource of God. And if you want the resources of God, it all begins with having a relationship with God. Can I tell you, after you get saved, the resources of God come at the same price. In order for us to have what God desires for us, then God demands the right relationship with him. You're wasting your time this morning if you think you're going to be ready for him without having a right relationship with him. You're not going to be ready. You're like, well, you know what, I'm just going to do the best I can. Can I tell you, through the power of God, you can not only do your best, you can have God's best, but you've got to maintain that right relationship with him. Trump of God's going to sound, a lot of us are going to be scared to death this morning. Why? Our relationship's not where it needs to be. Now watch closely. After we get saved, what resources of God do we desire and God desires for us? Well, I would say power. Wouldn't you like to have a little more power in your life? Power to say no to the flesh? 
power to be, be courageous in the will of God for your life? Wouldn't you love that after you get saved to have more opportunity from God? God, I'd love for you to open more doors for me. Or, hey, maybe you'd like more discernment. I could use a lot of that, couldn't you? A lot more discernment for the will of God. These are things God wants for us, but yet why are we lacking in them? I believe we're lacking in them this morning because our relationship with God is not the way it ought to be. And God's withholding his resources until we get right. You say, I don't think God would do that. He turned off their water. He turned off their water. Why do you think God's not going to turn the church's power off? What did he tell the churches in the book of Revelation? I'll take your candlestick away. God says, I'll remove my resources if you don't get your relationship right with me. And we can want all day long for God to send his power and for God to send his fire. But until we get a right relationship with him and repair that altar, I'm afraid we're not going to see it. I read a story about some, uh, some pelicans on the coast of California. And these pelicans found out that these fishing boats would come in every afternoon at a certain time and those, shipping, uh, those fishing boats would come in and they would clean the fish and throw the leftovers overboard. The pelicans got smart. They said, you know, we're flying around here out in the ocean doing those dive bombs there trying to catch fish and these guys are throwing a good bit of fish right overboard. So the pelicans decided, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to hang out at the dock and we're going to wait every day at 4 o'clock. And so the pelican sat there, here comes the boat, and every day he'd throw those fish overboard. It was great. After a while, those pelicans got so fat and so full, they didn't even fly off anymore. They just sat there and waited. But then that shipping industry moved out of that part of California. And then all of a sudden, those birds are standing there at 4 o'clock waiting on their fish. Not happening. You know, instead of where's the beef, where's the fish? Where's the fish? It's not here. And then they begin getting, true story, they begin getting sickly. And, and their ribs started showing. I, I guess they have ribs. Their ribs started showing. And, and man, they're just starving to death. And they brought in some wildlife biologists. And those wildlife biologists studied that group of pelicans and realized they had forgotten how to fish. They were sitting there waiting on the fish when they needed to go out and get some fish. And so they brought another flock of pelicans in. And after a while, those pelicans retaught them how to fish. I think you and I are like the pelicans. I really do. God's been so good to us. God has given us fish after fish after fish. That's called grace. And man, we've gotten so fat on the grace of God, we have forgotten to do and uphold our end of the bargain what God's called us to do. And God says, hey, you've got to maintain a right relationship with me. Is that not what Job said? I will maintain my ways before him. Job says, I've got some maintenance to do. Yesterday, boy, we had a great prayer breakfast yesterday with our men and a great crowd yesterday to kick off the year. And we were looking over a maintenance list for our property and I got a few leaks here and there we're going to work on as, as men together uh, in our church. By the way, I told my Sunday school class, if lo and behold, there appears a leak and it leaks on you, you win a prize, okay? Uh, rain is a blessing from God, showers are blessings. And if God chooses to bless you through the roof, uh, then that means you're a living super right and we have a gift for you in the bookstore, okay? I hope it doesn't leak on us. Uh, but we've got to do a little maintenance. You know, you've got to do the same thing in your life. That relationship with God, you've got to have some maintenance every once in a while to make sure I'm right with God. And I'm afraid today the church in America and maybe even in our lives at times resembles the altar in verse 30. The Bible says, the altar needs repairing. It needs fixing. Second Chronicles chapter 7 is a, a chapter we know well, but let me give you some, uh, some backstory. 
This is where Solomon is dedicating the temple. And when Solomon is dedicating the temple in, in 2 Chronicles 7, he has the, the sacrifice there and the fire of God falls. I mean, can you imagine what that must have looked like? I mean, if the fire of God fell in this building today, I bet most of us would stay right at least for two weeks. We wouldn't miss a church service. We wouldn't miss reading our Bible. Why? Because we saw the fire of God. It would taper off, I'm sure, after a while. But they got to see that. Then the Bible goes on to say in chapter 7, verse 13, okay, here's what he says. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now notice what happened there. He let them see the fire fall, and then he says, if there comes a day, where I shut up heaven, if there comes a day where I turn your water off, my people need to get right with me. Is that not what he said? He says, my people need to go and check the relationship. Folks, when, when God turns your water off, it never hurts for you to go back and check how the relationship's doing. Why? Because our Father loves us and he wants a right relationship with us. In Joshua, when they lost the battle with Ai, Joshua went to God and he says, God, what's wrong? There was no power, God. God, we went to fight this little pipsqueak town, podunk nowhere, and we were whipped soundly. God, what happened? Joshua says, God, what's wrong? And God says, there's sin in the camp. What does that mean? The relationship's not right. You've got something in the camp, and that's cut my power off. Folks, is that why we don't have God's power today in the church? Could it be we need to repair the altar? What does that mean? Repair our relationship with God. We're going through, uh, oftentimes go through a lot of pre-marriage counseling and doing some now, and I hope to do a whole lot more in the future. Excited about opportunity, folks getting married at our church. And uh, this upcoming week, we're going to cover, I'm not going to call their name, but you know who you are. We're going to cover three C's this week in order to maintain a right relationship in, uh, in our marriage counseling. The first C is communication. The second C is closeness. And the third C is cost cost. You know, if you're going to maintain your relationship, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. If you want to have a right relationship with your spouse, it's going to cost you. Amen? Man, I've given y'all so many easy softballs to amen at lately, and you just, you just miss them. Elijah says, I've got to repair this in order to have what God wants for us. There's a cost to maintaining a right relationship. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife. Even as Christ, what does the Bible say, also loved the church and gave the relationship. He wanted to have a relationship with us, and it cost him. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's going to cost you something. Children, obey your parents. It's going to cost you. Why? To maintain a right relationship, and it's no different with God. If we want what God has, we've got to make sure our relationship is right with him. Don't you think about this before I give you the second thing. This altar was a place of sacrifice, was it not? Is not the altar a place of sacrifice? Did not they take bullocks and sacrifice them? You see, God's giving us this great, beautiful illustration that in a relationship, in order to maintain it, there is sacrifice required. And boy, here we are, 2023, the church in America today. That is the biggest reason, I believe, we don't have a right relationship with God. Because it cost us. 
I don't want to have to sacrifice anything. I mean, people are all the time asking, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? No, we get to do that. Do I have to go to church tonight? Do I have to go to church? No, we get to do that. That's all part of our relationship with God. And we want what God wants. God send us the fire. God says, repair the altar. God says, your relationship with me is not right. And I'll tell you this, a sure sign your relationship is on the rocks is when you're unwilling to sacrifice. A sure sign your relationship is on the rocks is when you're not willing to sacrifice. Husband, wife, Christian, God. God showed me just how much he loved me. How? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, he wanted a relationship with me so bad, he sacrificed his only son for me. Man, look, it's going to get 12, 15 here in just a few minutes. You're like, all right, I'm done. All right, I'm not sacrificing my spot in line at Popeye's. I mean, that thing wraps around uh, by the old mall that's there. I can't give 15 more. He gave his son. Why? He wanted to have a right relationship with us. And you and I ought to be willing to go before God and say, God, whatever you want from me this year, I want to be ready. And God, whatever you want, I'm willing to sacrifice it. That's when we start finding out what God has for us this morning. Number one, being ready means repairing that relationship. Quickly, we got to hurry. Look down, if you would, at verse 31. So he starts rebuilding that altar. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. So here he is. He's starting to rebuild this, okay? Look down, if you will, verse 33. And he put the wood, what? In order. And cut the bullock in pieces. He goes on down that when he prays in verse 36, notice how... He prayed. He says, I have done all these things at thy word. Now, this is important. I want you to notice how he repaired it, okay? Number one, if we're going to be ready and ready to receive what God wants, it begins with repairing the relationship. Your altar this morning is a picture of your relationship with God. I believe it's broken down so much across our country. But then, notice how he repaired it. The Bible says he put, in verse 33, the wood in order. You see, when the altar was broken, it simply means this. It was out of order. It's out of order. God says, I'm turning off my resources because your relationship is not right with me. When our relationship with God is not right, you know what it simply means? Things are out of order. Number two, if we're going to be ready to receive, ready means restoring things to order. Restoring things to order. You know, if you read your Bible for five minutes, you're going to find out that God is a God of order. Here's what he does. Watch. God establishes order, but then he expects order. Okay? Two things. God establishes it. Go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. God established the order. Go back and look. All of those plants and trees and bushes and bugs and birds. Every bit of it. The Bible says they created after their own kind. There was an order to things. God created Adam. God created Eve. God created the garden. He says, now, Adam, I want you to dress it and keep it. God says, I put everything in order. Stay away from that tree. You can have all the other trees. God was giving him order. So God establishes it, but then God expects it with us. Ten commandments. You know what God was doing there? Establishing order and expecting order. Right Now watch, if we want God's blessings and we want what God desires we have, 
Number one, we've got to repair that relationship with him that's broken down. Number two, we've got to restore things to order. That means getting things back where God wants them. Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I was a young person, I would read that verse. And when I would read that verse, I would think of God being this drill sergeant up there. Anybody else there? All right, maybe not. All right, maybe just me by myself. But let me tell you how I thought about it, okay? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So the Lord says, all right, here. And God says, here. And God says, there. And God says, there. And he's up there like this drill sergeant ordering my steps. And if I get out of line, I'm going to have to do something crazy like they used to do to you folks in the military, shine shoes or something, latrine duty or whatever y'all used to have. You guys who got in trouble in the military, tear me after service, and I'll know for future reference. That word order doesn't mean commanded. It means prepared, ordered. Do you know tomorrow morning, watch this, your father already has the steps ordered out that you need to take. It's not that God's standing up there, all right, get out of bed, you slime ball. And today you got this to do and that to do, and if you don't do it by 5 p.m., oh, he's going to hurl a lightning bolt at you and fry you and zap you off the planet. It's not what he's saying. Tomorrow morning, the Lord has your day ordered for you. And if you'll just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, you'll see the steps. There they are. All of a sudden, you're at the gas station pumping gas, and, you know, your mind is, you know, it's crazy. They even have TVs at gas pumps now. We're so addicted to that stuff, we even have to watch it while we're pumping gas. Do you know why they do that? They're distracting you so you pump more gas. Hey, life hack I just gave you right there, okay? You may not get anything spiritual, but you've got something that will save you some money down the road. You've been there pumping gas and somebody comes up to you and asks for a dollar and you're thinking, oh, here's another bum. The Holy Spirit says, no. I put him in your path today because he's lost and needs to be saved. Watch, God ordered that. God ordained that. God prepared that. Aren't you glad there's a child of God? God's got the order figured out. Watch, I don't have to figure it out. God already figured out that I was born a man. Just part of the order. I didn't have to wonder. I didn't have to wonder what I was supposed to marry. Why? God ordered that. God says, you're a man, you marry a woman. That's just the way God made it out. Amen? I mean, just God has this order. I know, I know. It's crazy, crazy stuff. But it's truth. God ordered it, and God expects that. God says, I have lined everything out for you. You don't have to do a whole lot of head scratching. You don't have to figure it out. And this morning, can I tell you why our relationship is not right with God? Here it comes. You ready? We decide to leave the order. You get things out of order. You know what? Our wives decide, I'm going to be the husband of the house. I'm going to tell you what to do. And granted, you probably know more about things than he does. If it's like my house. All right? I thought, what am I supposed to do today? Okay, thank you. Can I tell you, when you get things out of order, that's when the relationship gets off. With your spouse and with God. I could say, you know what? I don't want to be the head of my house. I don't want to leave my home. I don't want to train up my child. I don't want to do any of that anymore. I just broke the order. Guess what's about to happen? My relationship is now off with God. And God's resources have been restrained. You got to stick with the order. Elijah, the Bible says in verse 31... He took 12 stones according to the number. Verse 33, he put the wood in order. And you look down to verse 36. He said, I did all of this at thy 
word. You can't think about order without thinking about, I call him Uzzah. Some of y'all call him wrongly Uzzah. We call him Uzzah in the Bible. Uzzah, remember him? When they're bringing the ark of God back from the Philistines and they put it on a cart rather than carry it on poles. The, the, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah went and put his hand up there to stabilize it. He was struck dead and David is distressed. Why? God says, you sought it not after the due order. God told them, I want you to carry it. That's the way I want you to carry the ark. Hey, the ark of God, the presence of God is not something to take lightly that you can just do what you want to. God says, do it my way. If you want my presence, you do it my way. That's why Uzzah lost his life. They sought it not after the due order. Could I just ask you a quick question? Where did they learn that from? Where did David learn that from? He learned it from the Philistines, the pagans. Do you know why I believe our relationship is not right, which makes us not ready? It's because we're taking our order from the Philistines. Why is my home in such a wreck? Can I ask you a question? Are you operating by God's order or the Philistines' order? The Philistines are the world. The Philistines are the culture that we live in. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. There's a conflict between God's calling and the world's culture. And at some point, you have to decide that I'm going to live by God's calling and not the world's culture. Why? Because I want what God has to offer. And oh, he's got some resources. God wants to bless your home, your children. He wants to order your steps where you're not sitting around living by trial and error. What a sad thought that a Christian would live by trial and error. There's an almighty God in heaven who's sovereign over everything, including time. And he has your steps already planned out. Isn't that what Jeremiah 29 says? I know the plans I have. Those are the steps I have for you. And God says, I already ordered it. He said, well, I don't know where they're at. Is God withholding his resources, number one, because your relationship's not right with him? Could it be this morning, number two, you're trying to live outside of his order? So how do we know what the order is? Well, it's the bottom of verse 36, right? Life hack right here. God's order is, I have done all these things at thy word. This is where you find God's order. I am not the smartest man in the world. I am not the most eloquent man in the world. But I'll tell you one thing I do know how to do, and I think all of us have the ability to do, it's follow steps that are placed in front of us. As a kid, I used to follow my dad in the woods going deer hunting, and he liked to get there before daylight, not to spotlight, just before daylight, so the woods would settle down after we got there. And we're walking through the woods and walking down these creek banks over in Lucas, Mississippi, and I remember, I didn't know where I was going, and I just put my feet where dad put his feet. Here I am, just a dumb kid, but I had that part figured out. If I wanted to safely arrive at the destination, all I had to do was put my feet where he put his feet. Do you know what this book is? It's the steps that our Father has ordered for us. He even went through the extraordinary measures of sending down his only begotten son to walk this earth and leave steps for us to follow. He said, this is the order. Just follow in his steps. That's what the word of God tells us to do. We've got to restore order. Now, here's what I want you to think about. This altar was truthfully nothing less than a reflection of what had been going on in those people's heart for years. You see, the altar was something on the outside that you could see. It's broken down. It's been neglected. That altar did not get that way overnight. 
the neglect had already started in here years before. In our marriage counseling class, one of our rules is no cheating. <laughs> I think that's a good one, amen? No cheating. But here's what I tell them. I'm talking about cheating on God. Because you'll cheat on God long before you cheat on your spouse. You will. And after a while, you cheat on God long enough in here. After a while, you'll cheat on someone else on the outside. You'll cheat in your heart long before you cheat in your home. And this altar right here was just a visual representation of how their heart had been for years. It was broken down in their heart long before it was broken down with their eyes. Now you can see it, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sooner or later, what's happening on the inside is going to show up on the outside, and it finally caught up with them. And can I tell you, it's going to catch up with us too. You look at our country, and our country's on fire. There's so much tension and destruction everywhere. Discord just fills the streets. Can I tell you what you're seeing in America now is simply a manifestation of what's been happening in the heart of America for years. It just finally has shown up. It's finally catching up with it. How do we get back to where we have God's fire again? Will we repair the altar? That's repair the relationship. Number two, we've got to restore things to order. I don't believe tonight America has a financial crisis. I don't believe America has an educational crisis. I don't believe America has a military crisis. I really don't. I believe what America has is a God crisis. You get that taken care of? Watch. The people here that we're reading about, they did not have a rain crisis. The rain crisis was because they had a God crisis. You fix the God crisis, he'll turn the water back on, and we see that here right from the Word of God. It's like a guy, I heard the story years ago. Every, every service, a man would come down to the altar and he would pray out loud. He would say, God, get the cobwebs out of my life. And he'd just pray out loud. I mean, give him kudos for having that kind of courage, you know. He'd come down. Everybody could hear him. God, get the cobwebs out of my life. And day in, day out, every church service, God, get the cobwebs out of my life. And finally, somebody in the back got tired of it. And somebody, when he said it for the last time, God, get the cobwebs out of my life, somebody stood up and said, why don't you kill the spider? See, the guy didn't have a cobweb problem. The guy had a spider problem. You kill the spider, you get with the cobwebs. Here we are in America, we're trying to clean out all the cobwebs, and the problem is we have a spider problem because we have a God problem. We take care of the God problem, suddenly the cobwebs go away, and everything is the way God would have it because that is according to his order. We get things back in order, all of a sudden God turns our water back on. Oh, what a blessing it is when we see God's reign begin to fall in our life and his power in our church. Number two, restore things back to order. And let's close with this last thing, all right? Some of you look a little bit confused, all right? So I don't want to confuse you too much more. Here we are at the end of verse 36. He did things the way God wants. Okay, God, I'm going to get your order. Verse 37, he starts to pray. Now, this is amazing. He did all of that before he prayed. Sometimes I wonder, are we wasting our time praying while the altar still broke? Are we wasting our time coming down to an altar praying, God, I want you to send your fire this year. God, I want you to use me this year. God says, fix the relationship. Don't you come before me and act like you want me to send something and turn the water back on when you know your relationship with me is not right and it's showing up in your life. It's falling apart. It is out of order. And now he starts praying in verse 37. Watch what he says quickly. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God 
that thou hast turned their heart back again. There is an amazing key. Brother Richard and I were talking about this this morning. We were getting the microphone on, and I said that last point today is probably the one that hits home with me the most. First, he had to repair the relationship. Number two, he had to restore things back to order. So he did that. But then I want you to notice why he was praying for it. He says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Elijah wasn't praying, God, give me the victory so that I can prevail over them. God, send your power that they will know that I am Elijah, the great prophet. No. He says, God, I don't want them to know who I am. I want them to know who you are. And here's the high cost of being ready to receive. Number three, ready means relinquishing self. Relinquishing self. It's amazing what Elijah was willing to do. Stand by himself. Young people, look at that. By himself. He didn't care. He didn't care how many people were on the other side. He was willing to stand by himself to put his finger in the king's face and says, you're the problem. Why was he willing to do that? It wasn't about him. Elijah, you could lose your life. It doesn't matter. It's not about me. Elijah, he could throw you in prison. It doesn't matter. It's not about me. I've got to make sure that what? Verse 37, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Now, here it comes. We're going to close. Do you know the reason we don't have the relationship we should and we don't restore the order that we should is because of how it will affect us. In order to have a right relationship with you, it's going to cost me sacrifice. I don't know that I want to sacrifice. I don't know if I want to give that up. The reason that we don't restore order in our life is because if I live by your order, I can't live by my order. And that's why there's no fire. That's why God's resources, he sits up there with arm loads, eternal rewards, eternal power, eternal victory. He's holding on to it. He's looking down. He says, nope, they're not willing to sacrifice. They're not willing to give up their order. And therefore, God would not send the power. Can I tell you, you'd be amazed at what God is willing to do if we just relinquish self. Okay. All right. I remember when, and I'll tell you, I'm going to hurry, all right? I'm going to hurry. But hear me out. I remember when God called us here, and we were talking to Sunday School about this today, and I'm so thankful to be a part of Central Baptist Church. Great privilege, great honor, and I'm thankful to be here. But I remember, you know, I was kind of settled in where I was at and, and happy where I was at, and most folks up there liked me, you know? And uh, I said, Lord, I'm good. I'm good where I'm at. Thank you, but I'm good where I'm at. And I remember Brother Brendan and I were talking. He says, well, have you prayed about it? I'm like, well, that's an insult to a guy that you're praying about being your pastor, asking if he prayed. No, I haven't. And I says, Here, here's what I'll do, Brother Brent. I said, I'm going to pray for a month. I'll pray for one month, and, and, and then I'll, I'll let you know. And boy, two weeks in to my praying, the Lord says, you're praying, but you're not being honest. Because I had never put my Isaac on the altar. I'm asking God to work, but I wasn't willing to sacrifice. So, God, I like it where I am. I like the setup I have, and, and, and the people like me. You know, I like you folks now, but I didn't know you to begin with. You're like, some of them look mean. Some of them sleep while I'm preaching. Enjoy it. I'm thinking, God, moving doesn't fit me. 
what I want. And then all of a sudden, two weeks into my prayer, I'm sitting in, in our secretary's office, which was my mother-in-law, and we're sitting there and we're talking about this. And I realized that I was not being honest with God because I was making a decision based on how it was going to affect me, not what God wanted. And I realized, you know what, this isn't about me. It's about the people may know that thou art the Lord God. You see, Elijah says, I'm not trying to prove who I am. I just, I'm here to prove who you are. And I'm willing to do that to prove who you are. Can I tell you, whatever God wants you to sacrifice in your life to him, it's worth it to prove who he is. Give it up. Let it go. Why? He's trying to use your life as a testimony to show people what he can do. You say, but I don't want to let go of it. But when you let go of it, they see what he did for you, and he gets glorified. You see, that's the whole point. Holiness and righteousness is not so you can walk around with your nose stuck up in the air because you'll drown when it rains. Holiness and righteousness is about them seeing that God took someone whose righteousness was as filthy rags and he took them and gave them robes of white and they're sitting clothed and in their right mind like a demoniac and they're like, wow, God must have did that. You see, it's not about what makes my life comfortable and convenient. It's about what can I sacrifice so that they will realize who he is. That's what it's all about. If we're going to be ready, we're going to have to relinquish self. Here we are. We're at the invitation time. Amen. That's the part of the service you've been looking forward to. Do you know what's about to happen? I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to predict the future, okay? You're about to go through a course on self-defense in just a moment where God is going to say, the altar's broken. You know it. The relationship is not right, and you know it. You know how you know it? There's no power there. There's no fire there. There's no blessings there. There's no discernment there. The altar's broken. God says, okay, in order to repair that, you need to repair that relationship with me. And all of a sudden, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get defensive. But wait a minute. I mean, you know, he's sitting by Nehemiah. He said, well, I'm better than him. You know, that guy falls asleep in church. He doesn't. And you're going to start defending your self. Can I tell you this morning, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what God wants in order that others would find out who he is. If God is going to use Central Baptist Church to be ready in 2023, we have got to be willing to rebuild the altar. That means restore that relationship and then put things back in order. Okay, God, we're just going to do what you say from now on. That's it. Not what I want. Why? Because I'm willing to sacrifice anything if I can point others to you. So here's the question. Are we ready to receive? Are we ready to receive? God has all of his resources at the ready. I honestly believe that God is looking for a church that he could pump his power into, that he would be glorified and lost people would come to know him. I believe that with all my, time's getting short. People got to be reached. Families need to be made whole. God wants to work through his church. Here's the question. Are we ready to receive what God wants? How's your relationship? Do you need to restore some order? And if you're fighting that this morning, maybe you just need to relinquish self, okay? I'm going to let go this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are